Uh, let's start with um, 2 Timothy 3, and then we'll go over to Hebrews, uh, which is our passage. But 2 Timothy 3, they're very close. Uh, if you're in Hebrews, you take a left, only about probably six, seven pages in most of your Bibles, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then we'll go back, take a right turn back to Hebrews chapter 4. 2 Timothy 3, starting with verse 16. Oh, no, verse 15. Let's start with verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, the holy writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through what? Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All scripture. How much? All. That's why I showed that little video. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. All Scripture. Now, over to Hebrews 4. Picking up with where we left off last week, verse 11, and just reading verse 11 through 13. Let us therefore, verse 11, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Same example, that was back with the children of Israel many, many years earlier. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Every American citizen will someday give an account to God. They may never go to the White House. Many of them don't want to. I get that. But they, uh, they may never go there, but they will give an account to the Lord. And the scriptures will play a key role in all of it. Let's pray. Father, we just bow our heads again. We ask for the leading of your spirit, the blessing of your spirit, the work of your spirit, the ministry of your spirit. Lord, remove me as it were once again that each and every person, even myself, we would just hear from you, Jesus, and your Holy Spirit. It's in your name that we pray. We love you, and Lord, we hope we leave here. We pray we leave here more in love with you than when we came. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have come to Christ, and maybe some of you haven't, but if you have, I'm, I'm usually speaking primarily to believers, but I know that we have folks that are visiting or time, time to time that don't know the Lord. But if you've come to Christ and have responded to the gospel, and where do we find the gospel? In the Word of God, right? So you've responded to the gospel, which comes from the Word of God, and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. Paul made it clear that the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation, 2 Timothy 3. But then faith is involved. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you have been, been, you've been born anew by the Spirit of God, you have seen your life literally change, especially if you came to Christ as an adult. As a kid, you don't have enough, enough mess-ups yet to kind of have a, a body of evidence. But if you're an adult and you've come to Christ, you've seen your life completely change. It may strike you from time to time. I'm speaking to someone who's come to the Lord. It may strike you from time to time. Wow, I really like listening to worship music now. I cannot believe this. Even after years of, uh, like, sometimes it will strike me like, wow, I really like, not only like, I love this music about the Lord. Wow, I really like uh, listening to songs that edify Christ. Where in the past you might have thought, this music is so boring. I know, we've got, we've got teens in this room. I, it's not, I'm not trying to pick on the teens, but, I, but until they come, some of them aren't probably even saved yet. I, I pray that they all are. But, but when you're not, you'll just think, this is boring. Oh, a hymn is even worse. <laughs> That's like, worship music's here, and a hymn, we just dropped off the cliff. <laughs> For people that don't know the Lord, they're, they're like, this, this really, uh, I need something better. I need a club scene, Right? Or you're surprised, you find yourself surprised, even years later after being saved, that you actually like listening to someone teach the Bible. 
like, when would I like to hear someone just talk about words that are in a book? Or that you willingly want to go to church. I talked last week about forced to go. But no, no, I want to go. I want to hear what God is saying, what he's doing in the world, what he's doing in the lives of other people. Or that you're compelled to pray. You actually talk to the Lord, just like you're talking to a person. Because Jesus is a person, right? But you're, you're compelled to pray. Or a passage of scripture that speaks to you personally. You're, you know it kind of jumps off the page. You're like, wow, that was for me. Or it gives you clarity to something you're struggling with. And instead of, you, you find yourself as you know, know Christ, instead of looking for sin or things that an unsaved, uh, even an unsaved conscience told you were wrong. A lot of times when you were unsaved, you still knew some of the things you were doing were wrong. But instead of now looking for sin, you now intentionally avoid things that would cause you to stumble. You go the opposite direction. You're like, I'm going around that. I'm not even messing with that. Much less go back to the old thing that Christ delivered you and me from. And why is this the case? Why do we now find ourselves going against the grain, going against the current of this world, actually liking things that we did not like before Christ? It's like all of a sudden, boy, I hated cauliflower, and the next day it tastes like ice cream to me, right? Only God could do that. That's never happened to me, by the way. I actually like cauliflower. But if it's other thing, but, um, but you get the picture that God changes our taste, changes our heart's desire, what we're beating after. And it's certainly not because of anything good in us. No, Paul told us in Romans, not only did I mention that the, the Old Testament, the Tanakh, tells us that even our righteousness is filthy rags, but the apostle Paul tells us in Romans that on our flesh, in other words, our natural state, he said, nothing good dwells. Not a single good thing dwells. People, when people say, well, all people are basically good, I'm like, you haven't talked to God or read his word. All people are not basically good. That's why we see the evil that has risen all through human history. And every kind of weird thing you've ever seen in the past will come back again. Because in our flesh, nothing good dwells. But our change was brought about from the outside in, we responded to the living word, and we were changed by the Spirit of God through Jesus. It was a heavenly transaction. If you're saved, you've been born again, it was a heavenly transaction where God, spiritually speaking, gave us a new heart and a new desire. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know this passage, but I want to put it up on the screen for you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, totally new. It'd be like me going outside, instead of getting in the Hyundai I drive, I walk outside, and the Hyundai has morphed into a Ford Suburban fully loaded. That would be great. It would be a new creation. God just totally remade it. That's not likely to happen. But he does that with people, totally new. All things have become new. The old is passing away. And it doesn't happen immediately. It sheds away over time. Although some of them drop immediately. I've told you many times, when I first got saved, I used to play basketball. After being hungover on a Friday night, we would sweat it out at 7 a.m. I don't know why we would do this. We got to bed at like 4 a.m. But we were out there playing basketball. When you're young, you don't need much sleep and everything else. And you think beer is a substitute for water and all this kind of stuff. So we, you know, we live that way, but we would be sweating out playing basketball, and out of our mouths would come all kinds of cursing up and down the court. When as soon as I got saved, the Lord said, that has to stop. Like, no one told me. I didn't read a verse about it. I didn't know about reviling in the Scripture, and immediately this Holy Spirit says, that's got to stop. No one told me. You can't get drunk anymore. That had to stop. All of these things just, but we become a new Christian. But then over time, God starts showing us other things that are a little deeper inside. Pride hypocrisy, all kinds of other things. The Lord shows us over time, little by little, he keeps making all these things new. But even if you have been changed for all eternity, if you're saved, you're already on the road to heaven. Your name written in the Lamb's book of life. You're as different as night and day, even if you're ready to die. If you get hit in an automobile accident, you are ready to meet Jesus. Your name is written. You've been changed. You've been brought into the family of God. And you're no longer on the road to hell and destruction, but you're on the road 
to heaven, even if this miraculous, marvelous work has already been done in you and me, there's still more work to be done if you're still alive. And the longer you have left, a lot more work to be done. And guess what's going to do the work? You're holding it right here. This book, which I have held on the back, that's actual duct tape. It's good for so many things. Um, and by the way, I had gone to buy a new Bible. I bought a new Bible like, you know, what did we buy, two months ago? I went in there. Lifeway was going out of business. Got the exact Bible I wanted. And then two days later, we met some of me and wife. We led her to Christ. And I gave her that Bible. I haven't been back since. So I still have the duct tape written Bible. The guy's like, look, keep the beat up one. You, you got a lot of notes in it and all that good stuff. But all of this that God is going to do continuing us is in the Word of God. If you're taking notes this morning, you saw the title, The Life-Changing Word of God. And we'll only look at two main themes this morning. Uh, the first is taken from verse 11. The first is taken, uh, verse 11, let's look at verse 11 again, which I'm titling this first theme, Our Part. Verse 11, let us, all right, so the writer's saying, you, this, this, the ball's in your court. Let us. The writer can't make the decision for you. I can't make the decision for my own kids. Each person has to make this decision. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And now as we pick up here with verse 11, let me draw your attention to the similarities of verse 11 to verse 1 that we looked at last week. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 4, and I'll read verse 2 for context but look at verse 1 and how it compares to verse 11. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to them, uh, or was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith who heard it. So again, verse 1, promise of entering his rest, lest you come short. The admonition, or we see, or, or the, the parallel, we see that rest that only God can provide is found in both verses. Verse 1, verse 11. The rest of God is mentioned prominently that this is only from the Lord. And the admonition to enter that rest is found in both. You'll actually see the word enter in both time, both verses. Enter in to the rest of God. Come through the doorway, so to speak. Clearly, God desires that we come and enter that rest, and not just the rest that we'll have in heaven when this life ends. That, that will supersede all rest. And that's the, that's the main, most important reason we get saved from an eternal perspective, but not just that future rest, but now that you can rest in the middle of storms like Jesus did that you can rest in the middle of difficulty, that you can rest if you have a boss that is driving you bananas, that you can rest while you're not getting much sleep because you've got a newborn baby and you're doing this for nine months. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the nine months after the baby's born, you know, that all of these kind of, you, yet you can still find rest for your soul and peace that's found under, as we looked at last week, the yoke and obedience of Christ. It's that spirit-filled life that God is calling us to, that spirit-given life that is really supernatural from the Lord. Let me make one point uh, that I did not make last week uh, as it relates to the yoke that Jesus said, uh, take my yoke upon you for my burden is light. You'll find rest for your souls. Remember we talked about that passage last week? I want to make one point that I didn't make about that last week. Understand uh, when we willingly... Again, Jesus will not force. You have, to, you have to say, Lord, I'm submitting. When you willingly come under the yoke of Christ, and picture a yoke. You ever seen two oxen? There's a yoke that's covering it. you got this big wooden thing that's over two, two oxen, right? But when you're yoked next to Christ, guess who's doing all the pulling? Not you. Jesus doesn't need you beside him to pull the entire universe. But you need to be beside him to pull out of just your tiniest of problems. 
So when you're yoked to Christ, he's doing all the heavy lifting. You and I, well, that's why the burden is light, he says. We're the weaklings walking beside him, not pulling any of the weight, because he has the strength. But we're under the same yoke. We're walking beside him. We don't have to strive now, but we are to take strides. Make sense? Not striving, but taking strides, taking those steps, following his lead. If he turns that way, we turn that way. If he goes this way, we go that way. So we can clearly see that Jesus wants us to have rest for our souls. Do you believe that? He wants us to have rest for our souls. And there's no other entry point or source but him. Now, did you notice that verse 1 and verse 11 have a similar warning? They have the similarity of entering. They have the similarity of rest. But there's also a similar warning. Verse 1, lest any of you seem to come short of it. Verse 11, lest anyone fall. In both cases, we have, instead of progress, we have either a collapse or we have missing what God intended. What would cause us to come short or to fall? Well, verse 2, I read verse 2 for contact. Verse 2 gives us the answer, and it tells us <clears throat> not being mixed with faith or unbelief. Unbelief and disobedience, they're very closely related because the second one in verse 11 would be more of, uh, it's, it's specifically the last word of verse 11 tells us the other issue. Uh, you either have unbelief or you have disobedience. Last word of verse 11. Closely related uh, terms um, in when you think about rebellion or resistance to the Lord. Now, I don't believe what Jesus is promising uh, would be unbelief. Say, I don't believe this. It's, and some people say, don't put it in those terms. They'll put it like, this is taking too long. So I don't, I don't believe it. I, I've tried it, tried that, didn't work. You could have been one week away from seeing God do a miracle, but you said, I don't believe it. The other is flat-out disobedience. The other is saying, I do believe it, I just won't do it. I believe this is true, but I don't want to put in the... I don't want to put in the faith that it takes. I don't want to put in the time that it takes. It's just not, just not worth the time or effort, so I'll go a different route. But in that case, we, we run the risk of falling short or falling uh, altogether. Now, quickly, before we look at our part, and that's what we're uh, here to look at in this first uh, theme, it's let's appreciate the flow of chapters 3 through 5. Now, we're not going back to chapter 3, but as it flowed, I want to just take you back a couple of weeks and understand how we end up at verses 11 through 13, which, which center on the Word. Word becomes a bullseye here in the center of the text. Uh, the flow, um, when we look back, uh, it's always good. I've mentioned numerous times here. Have you guys heard me mention the 2020 rule of Scripture? Uh, it's, just, it's just a technique that you can use uh, for those that are either new or unfamiliar. It's taking the 20 verses above the verse you're in, so in this case verse 11, and the 20 verses that come after it and understanding the context of what's being said, who it's being written to, how those other verses correlate to what it is that we're reading. And if you look in chapters 3 through 4 all the way up through verse 10, uh, the word is requoting the Word. The New Testament here is requoting from the Old Testament or the Tanakh, in the Jewish term, or the law. It is re the Word is requoting the Word and outlining that Moses and Joshua, who were faithful forerunners to Jesus, the Messiah, it's showing us that uh, they in their ministries, they were leading the people of God to a physical rest from the slavery of Egypt, the bondage of Egypt, the misery of the wilderness and the fiery serpents and scorpions and the heat. They're taking them from a physical place of, you know, really trapped, no escape, 
to a place that was flowing with milk and honey, a place of rest. So we see that is literal, that is historic, and yet they were spiritual foreshadows of something greater to come. Now, we understand from the context of those previous chapters that many of the children of Israel never made it there. They didn't believe in the goodness of God. They actually, even though God did great miracles, they actually said, take us back to Egypt. We had it way better there. So they didn't really believe. And so we saw that uh, instead of uh, believing God, they believed the lies of their own flesh. They never found the true rest that God was willing to give them. They heard the word of God, but they didn't believe it. That was the context of those previous verses. Those that came into the promised land, they possessed the rest of God. But even that blessing was not the full rest of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, look back at verse 8. For if Joshua had not given them rest, he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. So verse 8 informs us that even then, Joshua, whose name is very close to Yeshua in the New Testament, Joshua and the true believers were looking forward to a greater rest. A greater rest was to come. Found in Yeshua and Jesus and lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Word of God... Verbally then, so when Moses would speak the word, they were literally getting scripture right from Moses' mouth. But then he later would write it all down. We all agree with that? Then he read the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But before it was written out, they got it verbally. They even heard God speak audibly from the mountaintop. They thought, you know, the, th the thunder and all of the lightning. And so they got the scriptures verbally from the hand of Moses, the mouth of Moses, and then written. And now in the written form, it plays a tremendous role in the lives of everyone who follows the Lord. It was handed to us in written form. And the word reminds us, and it directs us related to what? The promises of rest. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Say the same promises they got verbally you're now getting through the word of God, and he requoted from King David in Psalm 95, and so we see that Moses, then David, now the writer of Hebrews, and ultimately the very words of Jesus become the red letter editions of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So he's saying all the promises of rest are from the word, by the word, and re-emphasized in the word. We now have this promise written in the text, and we'll start seeing in verse 14, uh, when we get past verse 13, go drop down to verse 14, it'll, it begins with seeing that we have a great high priest. We'll be looking at that in our next study, but in verse 14, it'll move into prayer, and our mediator being Jesus Christ, and perpetually the work of prayer and the word are always together. Your prayer life keeps you in the word, and your word life keeps you in prayer. And Jesus is at the center of both. He's the living word, but he's also the mediator of us between God and our prayer life. So your word life and your prayer life will always be directly connected. We'll get into that starting in verse 14. But as it relates to the word, what's our part? What's our part? Well, we have to read it. We have to read it. Even if you say, well, I don't know how to read, you have no excuse today. We actually have audio Bible today. Hopefully everyone here knows how to read, but there's still a few people out there, but they could actually listen to an audio Bible. We have to read the Word of God. We know from the sequence of verse, uh, verse um, 11 through 13 that God is calling us to His Word. And it's within the larger context of calling us to His rest and to His promises. No word, no rest. I'll say that again. No word, no rest. You will never find the rest of Jesus saying, well, I'm going to find rest. I just don't have time for the Bible. You are barking up the wrong tree. You're against an immovable object. God is saying, the word is where I, that's the spigot, where the water of rest is going to come out. 
It's not the only place, but it's the starting point. God wants us to see that understand. And our part, if you're taking notes, our part is listed here. Be, uh, therefore, let us, therefore, be diligent. What I've kind of given that as kind of a uh, way to understand it is decisive and diligent. Decisive. Jesus has allowed us... <laughs> You, do you, you ever have um, kind of a, let's go to dinner? Well, where do you want to go? <laughs> what about this? Eh, what about this? 40 restaurants later, you go back to like number two. That, uh, and you're going around and like, uh, we're like, can someone be decisive here? You know, right? That, just make a decision. But what, it, what I love about the things of God is he's already showed us the decision to make on almost everything. And we don't have to like waste all this energy trying to figure out. God says, I want you to read the word. I wonder if I should read the word. And I, I wonder if God would be pleased if I read the word. I wonder if I should read the word or if I should watch this TV show. I wonder which one I should do. I wonder if I should uh, pick up my Bible. I wonder if that's going to really be a waste of time. I could have done a workout. And it's on and on we go, right? And God says, I already told you what to do. To be decisive. Let us, therefore, to be decisive but also diligent. If you think let us, we see let us in your Bible, that I can put in that parenthesis, decide. Decide. Joshua said, choose for you this day. Whom are you going to serve? What are you going to do? But then, diligent, you're going to have to put forth an effort. I think I should wash my hands. Probably should wash my hand. You're going to have to turn the sink on and actually put so, and do it, not just talk about it. Do it. Nobody can make the choice for us. Let us, therefore, is an admonition to commit. It's saying, Lord, this is how we know exactly what to do. This is how we don't have to, like, uh, bat this one around or think it around. Think about it. Uh, Lord, you, Jesus, red-letter word, Jesus said this. Jesus said this. You don't even have to study it anymore. Well, you can study it, but I mean, once you settle this, say, Lord, you said this. Jesus said, you cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He also said that you need daily bread. Daily means what? Daily. That's deep, right? Daily means daily. You need to breathe daily. You need water daily. You need the word of God daily. I need the word of God. It's to say, Lord, I believe what you've said. You said I need the word more than I need physical food. More than I need physical food. Not equal, more than. You said I need the word more than physical food. You said I need daily bread. I'm committing with your help to make reading your word an essential part of my life, just as essential as showering and eating. And everyone's glad when you shower. If you don't eat, they won't care as much, but they are glad you took a shower. It's essential to your life. But we have to commit. Most of you know my life verse, 2 Timothy 1.12. He will help me keep that which I've committed. People are so afraid to make commitments because they don't keep them. But when you start making the commitments that God says, make this commitment, he'll help you keep it. You may not keep the unimportant things, but he'll help you keep this kind of commitment. He'll help. Deal Moody said this. He said, um, I never saw a fruit-bearing Christian that wasn't a student of the Bible. Never saw a fruit-bearing Christian that was not a student of the Bible. In all of his years, and I don't have any years of ministry, it was in the mid-1800s there, all the way to the late 1800s. Uh, Tozer said this. He said, nothing less than a whole Bible will make a whole Christian. You need the whole counsel of God. You need to go just start reading through the Bible. The whole Bible makes a whole Christian because it's not actually the Bible itself. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in it, which we're about to get into for just the last few minutes. The diligence says, my hands and feet are going to follow my heart's commitment. Lord, I'm committing this. Help me by your Spirit. I'll now put forth one foot in front of the other, one hand opening the Bible. Did you know your Bible will never float across the room and come find you? Did you know that it will not track you down if you are doing other things and float to you and say, open me now? 
and pin you down and stop you from doing other things that you know are not uh, a priority and start opening the page and it will become audio to you? No, it's not going to work that way. You'll have to sit down and begin to read it yourself and me as well. Uh, quickly before we move on from this, again, remember the warnings. If we resist, we're going to fall. If we resist, we're, the writers make it clear, verse 1, verse 11, if we resist, we're going to fall and come short. And Jesus said, we'll fall very hard if we're not built on the rock. He said, don't build on sand. Sand is like a person says, I don't have time for it. I can never make time for it. I've wanted to do it. And here I am 30 years later. I still haven't become any more of a student of the word than I was 30 years ago. That's building on sand. Jesus said, you'll fall very hard if you're not built on the rock. And his word is the rock. Now let's look at what the word will do. We know our part. Our part is to say, Lord, I believe this to be true, and I'm going to begin to open your word. I'm going to start with three verses and just Every day, I'm going to read at least three and meditate on them and go back to them at my lunch break and look at those three and start to develop a word life discipline in my life because you said it's important. We read in 2 Timothy as well. But what's the word going to do? The word's power. Well, this is the really good news. You do your part. If you want to vacuum your house, you have to take plug and do this, right? Once you do that, the vacuum does all the work. You don't have to get down and suck it up with your mouth, right? You know, the vacuum... <laughs> does all the work. That's kind of gross, I know, but uh, I don't know where that came from. But, um, but when our kids were young, they would just pick anything up off the ground, and I'm like, what in the world are you doing? That's dog food. or that's, uh, you know, But the vacuum will do all the work, but you still have to plug it in first, right? So plug it in, and then the Word has power. Many books... Let's look, let's look at the verse again, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and a discerner and thoughts and intents of the heart. Many books have inspired people, changed governments, influenced societies, and brought about new developments or even scientific thought. Many books have done this. I've read non-Christian books. I, I read non-Christian things. Some of them are great. I, I was in the business world for 16 years. I still like reading business stuff and technology stuff and corporate. I don't know why. I just, I'm weird like that. I love National Geographic and all these other. But there's lots of things out there. But all of those things, no other book, no other periodical, no other manuscript in the history of the world has changed more lives rescued more hopeless people, transferred more destructive lives, and brought about peace and hope that will last for eternity than the Bible. It's not even close. And no other book has been hunted down to be wiped off the face of the earth like the Bible, by communist regimes, by Nazi regimes, by other religions, you name it. The Bible is targeted, and it's still the world's number one bestseller despite every effort to discredit it and destroy it. Why? Well, God gives us the answer. Psalm 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. You can't touch it in heaven. And if you can't touch it there, God says you can't touch it here either. It's settled. You're holding in your hands, if you have a Bible in your hands, I'm holding mine right now, you're holding in your hands the only, the only in your lifetime perfect thing you'll ever hold. The only eternally life-changing and life-giving words that are in this world. And even uh, the, the power of the Word of God, even when you just communicate and paraphrase the truth of God's Word to people who don't know God's Word, it has this power we're going to look at. Uh, this is um, an atheist conversion. It was actually uh, Charles Spurgeon told about it um, uh, in his ministry and uh, just listen to this, this child takes a biblical truth, a word of God truth, and paraphrases it and watch what God did. Uh, he said, I heard, of a, I heard the story of a man, he was a blasphemer, an atheist, who was converted singularly by a sinful action. He had written on a piece of paper, God is nowhere, and ordered his own child to read it aloud. For he would make his child an atheist too. The child spelled it out. God is 
N-O-W-H-E-R-E. God, uh, yeah, God is N-O-W-H-E-R-E. God is now here. It was a truth instead of a lie because the Bible tells us God is everywhere. That was a biblical truth. And now the arrow pierced the man's own heart and he came to Christ. Because his child, God, the, the dad said, I want you to read this out loud so you become an atheist. Kid says, God is now here, and dad becomes a Christian that fast. Isn't that amazing? Now let's understand the description we're uh, given of the word of God here, uh, verse 12. It's first, it's living. In a sense, other books are dead. In a sense, all other books are dead. This book is living. In other words, they won't live on in eternity. This book will. And they have no life-giving power. In the Greek, this word means to be breathing or active. That's what it means in the Greek, to be breathing or active. Now, we know it's not just breathing. It's the very breath of God in written form. It's God breathed. I've heard so many testimonies, many of them. I don't, I don't know if, how many of you have heard, but I've, I've purposely gotten watched them and listened to them. They're amazing. I've heard so many testimonies of people who just picked up a Bible, whether they believed in it, didn't believe in it, and they could sense as they begin to read, this book is different. It seems to speak directly to me. I remember C.S. Lewis, he, genius IQ, had read, read, read thousands of books, like Thomas Jefferson, he read so many books, but he's like, he, when he read the Bible, he said, I know a man couldn't have written this because I've read every other book I've written read was written by men, and he goes, I know how men write. God writes differently than men. And he could tell. It seems to speak, people will say in their testament, it spoke directly to me. Well, of course, it's living, as it says. And it's powerful. And this word powerful in the Greek is where we get the word energy. You like that word? You want some energy? You know, those of you that are over 50, raise your hand, you're like, I could use some of that, right? The Bible, can, God can actually give you energy your spirit actually will, will actually improve your physical, believe it or not. The word energy. A nuclear submarine has onboard energy that can go about 20 years without refueling. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I think nuclear subs are unbelievable. They could stay under and for 20 years if there was food and everything like that. 20 years worth of fuel in one nuclear-powered submarine. The scriptures, they have eternal energy. Never runs out. Doesn't lose a tiny, little tiny watt of power because it's powered by the Spirit of God. Has the same power as it did 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years earlier when certain passages were written. It's why personally as a pastor, I'm not even the slightest bit interested in having fog machines here, ultra-hip clothing Repelling out of the ceiling to make a sermon analogy. These things are all being done. I'm not even making these up. Sets that took the entire church a, a ridiculous budget to make so the pastor can make one point. And all this nonsense. All of these things. Uh, the hippest lingo that tries to run side by side with pop culture, which changes like every 15 minutes anyway. No, this nation, this world, and people everywhere need the undiluted word of God. And men that proclaim it, not men that get in the way of it with all this other trappings and all this other stuff to kind of appeal to the sensory overload society. It's not only living, in other words, I don't need to do any of that stuff, nor do you, because you have a living, active sword in your hand. So you don't need all that other stuff. It's not only living and powerful, it's sharp. It's compared to a two-edged sword, but that was a fierce weapon in Roman time. The Roman army, a two-edged sword was a fierce weapon. And these guys were really trained to use it as well. You can take on all the forces of the evil with this book as well as anything that attacks your mind, attacks your life. But in the context of us as believers and entering into that rest, it's what the Word does in us. Don't you want the Word to have an effect in you? Well, it will. If you do your part and you open it and you say, God, use this Word. Remember the little video? He said, 
send up a prayer. That was to a non-believer. The word will speak to a non-believer. Once you know Christ, it just, it just keeps coming, and the word keeps going in. Spiritually speaking, the word goes so deep that it enters into our inner man. That's a term Paul used in Ephesians 3.16. You and I have an inner man or an inner woman. It goes so deep it enters into places we don't understand about ourselves. In other words, it informs us about us. There's a song out right now. I think Francesca Bellis sings a defender. says, when I thought I lost me, you knew where to find me, is a, is, a, is a line in the song. And if you know anything about your own self because of the word, you know that makes a lot of sense to me. Because now I don't know me that well, but I'm, God is showing me me. That's as deep as I'm going to go with that. But it deconstructs, it deconstructs our thoughts and motives and gives us straight truth that says things to us like, wow, did I ever need that truth and clarity from God? It goes deep. It blows past all of our biases, our excuses, our whining, our complaining, our fears, our pains, all of that stuff. And it says this what God wants you to know. Thus saith the Lord to your inner man, to your soul. The, war, uh, the sword mentioned here, uh, the sword and the mention of joints and marrow are metaphors in helping us see what? They're metaphors in helping us see that the word gets way beneath skin deep, way, bene- way beneath skin level. The word goes to the places that I don't, when I walk up to you, I don't see your joints and marrow. I see your face. When the word comes in, it sees well beyond the face. It sees all the way of the depths inside of your bones, which is a metaphor of all the way of the depths inside your spirit. Way deeper than we can see on the outside. The word goes in, and it also cuts to the deepest thoughts of our hearts and minds. It's like a surgeon's scalpel. When the surgeon goes in, it goes to places we don't see every day. We don't see kidneys. We don't see all that stuff. But the surgeon's scalp goes way in there, And it can cut out the cancer in our life. It can cut out the things that need to come out that we can't see. And in verse 13, it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, and all things are naked and open. Uh, Nothing can hide from the word of God. Nothing will hide from the word of God. And if a person is lost without Christ, like the atheist, his little child given a little bit of truth about God is now here. Nothing can hide from the truth of God's word because it's living It can come in, and instead of the sword killing, it does the opposite. The sword comes in and brings what? Life. It comes in and brings life. The sword comes in and says, you were on your way to death, but this sword's going to bring life. But if it's rejected, well, that's a warning here too. But all things are open, and the eyes of him whom we must give an account. If it's rejected, one day these very words, the 66 books of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, the book of life, the books, the Bible says plural, the books will be opened. The books will be opened, and the world will be judged by the very word of God. That Someone said, I didn't believe the word of God. I thought it was a fiction. I thought it was no better than, uh, than Socrates or whatever else. I thought it was equal to those things. God says, you were wrong. Socrates has been dead a long time ago. This word's alive. So he says that this we must give an account. If it's rejected, someday these books will be opened and all will be judged that refuse the word. But as a believer, as we read it daily, well, what does it do in our life? It corrects us. It comforts us. It convicts us. We need conviction, don't we? We need conviction. We we need to be comforted. We need to be corrected. We need to be conformed to the image of Jesus. It's so much better to be rerouted now than judged by God later. Wouldn't you agree? I love when, uh, you know, again, uh, Pastor Loran said at the end of uh, his message last week, he said, he goes, the older I get, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more he goes, I need strong preaching that kind of hits me right here. He goes, I'm not offended by it at all, and I'm not either. If, If we have some evangelist pastor or something that came and preached here and said, this church is super lukewarm, I'm not going to be offended. You might be, but I won't be. I'll be like, it's got to be said. It's got to be said, right? God, God is saying, this is my word, and it will help you, not harm you. Amen? It's not going to harm. It will help us. I'd ra- much rather be rerouted now 
than judged by the Lord later. But it's also a lamp to our feet. I need the Word even to know what to do with the Word. Yesterday when, I, when my hard drive, which is still gone, um, uh, it may come back to life tomorrow, and God said that it was just a one-day thing to see how you react to it, which I did pretty good. My wife can tell you. I actually pre- lived out what I preach. I mean, I did not hammer the thing. I, none of that happened. <laughs> that thought was quickly confessed, and uh, you know, I just said, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to preach the whole thing without notes tomorrow? I'm open to that. If that's what you want me to do, I've gotten the word. He told me definitively in the word, no, I want you to rewrite the whole thing if you have to stay up till 2 a.m. Why? Some of what I already know, part of it I won't know till heaven. But the word, once I got the answer, I was as calm as could be. I was at rest. I said, who cares why? God's in control. So the word tells us what to do daily in life. Let it be your light. Let it be the word that brings you into the rest of Jesus. And as it goes in, it untangles internal clouds of doubt and discouragements and distractions and despair. As we come to a close, do you believe in the life-changing power of the word? I mean, you really believe in the life-changing power of the word. Is it changing you? Are you ready to be decisive and say, Lord, you've already said what to do. I'm deciding to say, yes, I'll commit and diligent, and let it mature you and bring you into waters of refreshing. This book of the Bible has, has been my lifeline for all the years I've been saved. Uh, it has been my lifeline in a thousand ways I can see and probably 10,000 ways I can't see. That's my personal testimony. I, I can say this word has carried me when I could not go further in many times, many seasons. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. I want to show you this quote as we come to a close. Men speak of waters. You know, he was, again, pastor in London in the 1800s. Many speak of waters that revive the spirits and tonics that brace the Constitution. Again, back then, they tonics for stomach issues and things like that. Um, but the Word of God has been more than this to us. Times beyond count. Amidst temptations, sharp and strong and trials and bitter, the word of the Lord has preserved us. Amidst discouragements which damped our hopes and disappointments which wounded our hearts, we have felt ourselves strong to do and to bear because the assurance is of help which we find in our Bibles had brought us a secret, unconquerable, Energy, that's that same word, that Greek word, power. It's brought, the word has done that. It's preserved us and given us power. Do you need that in your life? Do you desire that in your life? Do you want the rest that Jesus said? He says, this book, you start to commit to it, you're going to flourish. You're going to be transformed. You're going to have power. You're going to have boldness you didn't have before. You're going to conquer things you've ever conquered. You're going to see change broken. You're going to see all, and it starts by getting into the word of God. Amen? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we bow our heads before you. We're so grateful for this word that is so powerful and so necessary and so essential, as essential as air and more essential than food or water. But Lord, forgive us if we've thought, which is a, a self-deception or laziness or whatever, that, that we don't really need the word that much. Lord, open our eyes that we would be diligent to enter into the rest of your word, building us up, chasing us, comforting us, uh, Lord, just transforming us and conforming us to the image of Jesus. And before we close in song, and just your heads bowed, and, you know, this message is primarily to uh, the believing church. I mean, this, this author is writing to Jewish believers in the first century. He's writing to those that were... Uh, Jewish converts that had come to faith in Messiah, come to faith in Yeshua, uh, in Yeshua. But, um, but if you're here and you know the Lord, you know God is saying, look, it's time to stop walking in circles and open the word daily. Let it be daily bread. But if you're here and you've never, like the, the atheist that tried to get the child to, to go the other route, maybe you never put your faith and trust in Jesus the first time. If you're here and you say, God spoke to me, 
I want to know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I want to know that I have a future in heaven with God. I want to know that I've been adopted by the Father. I want to know that I've been saved by Jesus. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. I want to follow you the rest of my life. I want to be born again, as he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, who was a very religious man, by the way. He said, you must be born again. If there's anyone here that you've never been born again by the Spirit of God, you've never been changed from the inside out, you thought that was foreign when I was talking, what do you mean like and worship music? I still don't like any of that stuff. I still don't want to read the Bible. You've never been transformed. You've never been saved. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. God is calling you. I'm not the one calling you. I am not the one calling you. I'm just the one delivering the message. God is calling you by name. If you're visiting here, you're here. God knows everything about you. He knew you'd be here today. He's calling you by name personally. He knows your first, middle, last name, your social security number, and everything else. Anyone else? Anyone all? You want to raise your hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I promise you it's the Lord himself calling you. For all of us here, again, keep praying for those who don't know the Lord. But all of us here, if you know the Lord, recommit right there in your seat. Say, Lord, I've, I've, I've put a, the Bible at a low place in the priority of my life. I put the scriptures at a low place. Lord, forgive me. Lord, it's living. It's powerful. I need its sharpness to go in. I need it to change. I need it to help me to, Lord, have the boldness or the strength or the peace or the, I want to grow in love or I want to grow in faith and all of these things. And the Bible, Lord, is the source. You just ask the Lord to forgive you, but also say, Lord, I'm being decisive. I'm committing. Will you help me? First Timothy 1.12. Yes, he will help you keep that commitment. This isn't legalism. This is a lifeline for you. That's what it is. Lord, we just pray collectively that you would help us to grow in your word. And as we do, we're going to see more joy, more peace, more miracles, more salvations, more disciples, and, Lord, more transformed lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we close in song? <laughs>